This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by Randall Nicole Designs. Randall King, owner and designer, has been curating beautiful graphic designs, logos, and websites for nearly 10 years. If you're looking to work with a designer to build your farm or ranch logo, create cohesive branding materials for your business, or build that website you've been thinking about, head to randallnicoledesigns.ca to start building something beautiful together. Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Today, you'll meet Rachel Jarman. Rachel grew up on a grain farm in Ohio and participated in 4-H for 10 years. She attended Ohio State University and graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Agriculture Systems Management. In 2017, Rachel and her husband started their own mixed operation, Bank Barn Meats, where they now direct market their hand-raised pork, chicken, lamb, and beef. On top of being a farmer, Rachel transitioned from working full-time in a corporate egg job to working part-time as a rural rehabilitation coordinator for Ohio AgriAbility in May of 2019. As a rural rehabilitation coordinator, her job is to help farmers, ranchers, and other agricultural workers find equipment and technologies that make their work on their operation easier. That can range from upgrading steps or a seat on a tractor all the way to adding a lift to a tractor or truck so a farmer with paralysis or loss of a use of a limb can access and operate equipment. Rachel says getting the opportunity to see these individuals get their independence back is the most rewarding job she could ever ask for. I am so excited for you all to get to know Rachel a bit better through Bank Barn Meats, as well as her incredible job at Agra Ability. As always, I will leave links in the show notes so you can find Rachel and connect with her after the show. I'm also going to leave a few links for the National Agra Ability organization so you can dive into it a bit more and see if it is in your area down in the U.S., Some of you may remember that the AgriAbility project was the recipient of rally proceeds back in 2019. AgriAbility is doing amazing work around enhancing the quality of life for farmers and ranchers and other agricultural workers with disabilities to allow them, like Rachel said, to have their independence back and be able to produce food to feed the world. Be sure you stick around for a special announcement at the end of today's show that you are not going to want to miss. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Rachel. Hello, Rachel. How are you? I'm great. How are you today? I am doing very well. Thank you so much for joining me on the Rural Woman podcast today. I am excited to get to know you a little better and to hear your story. My pleasure. Rachel, you are from Ohio and I've been to Ohio 
there's not very many states that I get to interview people from that I can say that I've actually been there. So I feel like I'm just talking to a friend. (laughs) Uh, Well, good. For the listeners who are unfamiliar with you, give us a bit of your background and how you got your start in agriculture. Sure. So my name is Rachel Jarman and I live in, I'll call it South Central Ohio. I grew up on a grain farm. My dad raised corn, soybeans, wheat, and a little bit of hay. I went to college at the Ohio State University and graduated with a degree in ag systems management, which has been something that's allowed me to do whatever I wanted in agriculture as far as career-wise. And, you know, my love of agriculture really just started by riding in the combine with my dad. And I have the fondest memories of just planting and harvest and everything that goes with that and 4-H animals and, you know, everything that that has to do with with living on a farm. That's so great. What animals did you raise for 4-H? Oh, man, we did a little bit of everything, mostly cattle. We started with, like, when we were younger, we would start with a feeder calf. My parents always thought that, like, having a small calf would be the best thing because they weren't big and could overpower you, except I hated breaking feeder calves. So I was really excited when I was deemed old enough to take a fat steer to the fair. And we eventually graduated adding, you know, a couple of pigs. And then I think we ended up taking some turkeys close to the end of our 4-H careers. But those were the main things that we took in 4-H. Just a little bit of everything. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So take us on the journey then. Tell us, you know, you went to college and graduated and got this big fancy degree. Take us on the journey from that point to where you guys are today. So after I graduated college, I took a couple of jobs in corporate ag and I enjoyed those jobs. And in the meantime, my husband and I got married and he had always said to me, you know, I want to raise some cows because he grew up in very Southern Ohio where everybody, it's very hilly and everybody raises cattle. So he just like, you know, his life goal was I got to have some cows. That's what everybody else did in my family. So like, I have to have some cows. So, you know, eventually it came to a point where we were able to rent my family's pasture area because we live in an area where if nobody's going to be raising animals on pasture, it's going to be tilled up and used for crop ground. And so my mom's family allowed us to rent that acreage. And so we decided, all right, we're going to give it a go. And we started raising animals and we started with four cows and a couple of pigs in the barn and two sheep because Stephen was just like infatuated with the idea of raising a sheep. He was like, I don't know what they taste like. You know, I bought it at the store a couple of times and I want to raise it myself. So we did that. And the whole point of raising the animals was so that we could raise our own meat. You know, we could know where it came from. We could know what kind of life that it had and we could provide for ourselves. And so we said, okay, that worked out well, and quite a few people enjoyed the meat we offered, and we said, all right, well, we have these four steers. Well, what are we going to do with them? <laughs> well, we have to get rid of them somehow, and where we live as well is very populated with people selling holes and halves of beef, so buy it in bulk. Not as many people selling it by the piece. So we decided, well, maybe we should try going to the farmer's market with our beef and see how that goes. Surprisingly, it went over really well. And we had two lambs again, and we're out there at the farmer's market. We're selling lamb, and the farmer's market is set up right in front of a restaurant. Well, that particular restaurant has a lamb burger on their menu. The chef came out, and she said, hey, how many sheep do you guys have? And we're like, 
oh, a couple, knowing we'd have very many. And she said, well, would you like to provide me with all the ground lamb for my lamb burger? I'll need about 30 pounds every other week. Do you think you could do that? And I just said, sure. Yep, I will. And I had no idea where these sheep were going to come from. And I had no idea, like, I had no butcher dates. I had nothing. But we were going to do it, you know. And so that's basically where everything started for us in our business of selling meat. And from then, I relied on just, like, calling, you know, former clients from my corporate ag jobs that I had worked with that I knew had sheep and utilizing people that I knew that had sheep to purchase just like feeder lamb. And so we said, okay, we're going to do this. And it was quite the feat. And I'm just so proud that I've been able to, you know, hold up, hold my end of that 30 pounds every week. It did slow down when the pandemic started and we still had all of those sheep in the barn, you know, thinking like, we're going to have to keep up this contract. But she has worked her way, the chef has worked her way back up to almost a regular 20 pounds every other week. So it's worked out really well for us. Rachel, that is like the epitome of resilience and figuring stuff out right there. Like to have this woman come up to you and be like, can you do this? Yep. And having to figure it out afterwards, that is ballsy and good for you for (laughs) for doing that. (laughs) A lot of the saying yes came from my husband and a lot of the figuring it out came from me. And for whatever reason, it worked. And I'm glad that it has. And every time I get like really low in my ground lamb supply, I'm just like, oh, how many pounds do I have? I go out there and I count it. And then I count it again. And I'm just like, and then I have this many weeks left until the next one's go to the butcher. I have more of a cushion now. But that first year, man, I remember taking her like the last 10 pounds that I had. And I was like, if you can just make this until like next week, then you've know, got lambs going to the butcher this week. And so there was a couple of times where I was just like super skinny on inventory, but I made it. <laughs> Absolutely. And good for you. Well, and also good for you guys for recognizing that in your area, other farmers and ranchers were selling holes and halves and whatever cuts of meat that they had. And for you guys recognizing that there were people out there that don't have the freezer space, nor do they have the amount of people to justify buying that bulk of meat all in one go. And for you guys just doing the cuts in the farmer's markets and all of that kind of stuff like that is good for you guys for recognizing that too. Yeah. And it's worked out well for us. And then, you know, this year with the pandemic, people are everybody wants now a whole and a half. Well, do you have a whole and a half? And we're like, you know, we we just have to say, sorry, that's, you know, the the base of our business is taking this meat to these farmers markets and serving these customers that have been so loyal to us. And so we've had to decline a couple of people wanting to buy, you know, a whole or a half just because, you know, we know how many cows will serve the markets that we're in. And so we kind of have to reserve it for that. So yeah. Well, and you know, that's like you said, it's just not part of your business model. And that's fine because there's other people out there that that is part of their business model. So you're serving your that's right. your perfect customer versus, you know, scrambling to get a butcher date for a steer that, you know, that is going to be kind of like a one-time thing. And I can't foresee these people buying a whole and a half cow in the future once things go back to quote unquote normal. Some will for sure. But, you know, I think a lot of people have gone back down to just like the normal buying of things. Like they didn't buy five cases of toilet paper. They only bought one case of toilet paper when they went to Costco, right? So... (laughs) Yes, I 100% agree. And also the people that 
they're buying it are people that are in their mid thirties or mid forties or mid fifties or whatever, you know, that the younger generation. And and I think of all the people that always bought holes and halves were like my parents' age. And so when I meet customers that are closer to my age, they want to buy for this week and this week only, or maybe they want to buy for two weeks, but they don't want to have to think too far ahead about how many pounds of hamburger in the freezer, I probably should eat that up. And, and then that requires a lot of planning. I feel like a lot of the millennial generation is like, go with the flow, you know, like, well, what's convenient for me right now, you know, and that's great. You know, those are the people we're here to serve, you know. Absolutely. Well, and I just like, I like what you said about what's convenient. Like, just think about the market out there of meal box kits that get sent to your doorstep where you don't even have to walk into a grocery store and everything is just laid out there for convenience for you. So, and I'm the same way. Like, I, you know, I feed my husband and myself, and during our busy seasons, I feed a crew and all of these things, but I'm not looking like I don't think I would ever personally buy a whole or a half more or less because there's some things that come with it that I don't know how to cook this and I don't know what to do with it. (laughs) And like you said, how many pounds of ground beef am I going to use from now until, you know, the end of this year? I have no idea. (laughs) And you don't want to think about it. You just want to be like, that's the store's problem. They'll have ground beef when I show up. (laughs) Exactly. But we saw in 2020, the store didn't have the ground beef and that's when the panic ensued. So... That's right. Oh, boy. Well, tell us more about what 2020 looked like for you guys and ending your farmer's markets. In Ohio, what were the restrictions like for you and how did you guys pivot and serve your customers? We expanded in 2020 to four farmer's markets, which was a lot. And I will admit I was tired by the end of the summer. And how we managed that was on Saturdays, my husband would go one direction. I would go another direction. Whoever went to our like local hometown farmer's market took our daughter just because we knew so many people there that if she decided she was going to haul off and, you know, want to go walking away from our booth that somebody would, you know, snag her and, and make sure she didn't go towards the street. And then we also do a farmer's market on Sundays as well. So each Saturday we were in two and we rotated two markets on Saturdays. So one week we would be in one, one week we would be in the other. And then we would do every other Sunday at another farmer's market. And each farmer's market was a little bit different. And it kind of depended on the local health department and what kind of their restrictions were, the population of the area. Our local farmer's market is not as in a highly populated area as some of the other farmers markets that we attend in the Dayton area. So it really just depended. But every single one of them required us to wear a mask. Every single one of them required us to have sanitizing wipes or hand sanitizer, you know, available. A lot of them provided it for the patrons, but they wanted us to have it for ourselves sitting there. For us, it was a little bit easier. Our products aren't sitting out on the table like you know, vegetables or baked goods or things like that are. So it was easier for us to kind of keep the customers from touching the products because that was a big thing. They were very worried, like, don't let them pick their vegetables. You know, you ask them which specific vegetable they wanted and you pick it and bag it and hand it to the customer type thing. Some of them tried to limit the amount of people in the parking lot of the market and try to keep it like closed off. And that worked, but it also everybody went right to the vegetable vendor or everybody went right to, you know, whoever was most popular at that 8 a.m. opening time. And so I don't know if that specific step was completely necessary. A couple of them tried to do, you know, like one way in and one way out. So like make it like work like a flow that you came in the entrance and you did all your shopping and you went out the exit and that worked out pretty good. But 
a lot of them had to cancel their music vendor or whoever would create like a gathering scenario. So like we didn't have chairs where we normally would have like chairs where people can just sit and, you know, hang out and talk and stuff like that. And all of the booths are somewhat more farther apart this year, but it still felt as normal as, you know, we could possibly make it. Right. And that's, that's good. And I think that's what people were looking for. I think by the time farmers markets opened here anyways, people were looking for just that little bit of normalcy, even though if there was restrictions around it, they kind of just went with it and tried to keep things as normal as normal could be, right? So Yep. And we had our fair share of people saying, I don't know why you have to wear that mask. We're outside. And I would just politely say, well, those are the rules and I want to be here. So I'm going to follow the rules, you know, and and just (laughs) give them the politically correct answer. Right. Well, we could go on the whole wormhole of debates on all of the the theories that people have here. That's That's, right. uh, That's for another show. That's for another show, Rachel. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Randall King owner and designer at Randall Nicole Digital Designs, has been providing her clients with exceptional graphic designs, logos, and websites for nearly 10 years. Randall has even created designs for her clients that have been featured in Rolling Stone magazine. Recently, I have teamed up with Randall to curate and recreate all of the designs featured in my online store, Shop Wild Rose Farmer. Her philosophy, good design, and good relationships come from collaboration rings true through her work and is why I personally recommend Randall Nicole Designs. If you're looking for a designer who stays connected with the latest trends and technology and can help you with your web design or graphic design, maybe even your new farm logo, head to randallnicoledesigns.ca to connect with Randall to start making something beautiful together. What are your plans for the future in your farmers markets and for your farm? So also during the pandemic, we started a YouTube channel because we, in December of 2019, we had agreed to do a farm to table event. Well, that farm to table event was scheduled for the day that Ohio reopened. I think it was outdoor dining. So Sometime in March, they closed all the dining inside, and you could only do carry-out. You couldn't go to a restaurant at all. And at that time, I just said to the chef, I said, you know, let's just postpone this until everything kind of cools down, and we just haven't been able to figure it out and go again just because of, like, capacity. You know, you have to abide by different capacity. So we started this YouTube channel, and my husband was like, we'll just show people, like, everyday activities on the farm. And it actually worked out really well because – This year, more than anything, people ask, well, can we come to your farm and see your animals? And we're kind of just hesitant about that just because asking strangers to come to your farm is a very touchy subject. I want them to come, but liability of, like, walking through pastures where cows have put their feet down and muddy and, you know, that creates a hole and are they going to break their ankle and stuff like that. That's the part that worries me. I'm not worried about are they going to think I'm mistreating these animals, but we said, well, we don't really allow people to come to our farm, but you can watch us on YouTube. And each week we put out something that 
you know, we're doing that week and we highlight it and we try to post a video once a week and it just includes something that happened that week and whether it's taking animals to the process or picking up meat from the process or maybe we're putting out a round bale or bedding down the cattle or, you know, just something moving chicks out to the chicken tractors, just doing something. We, we try to video something and the people have loved it. They have loved to be able to see, you know, like what we're doing from the comfort of their home and they don't have to leave. They don't have to pack up their kids. They can all just sit there and watch from the comfort of their home what we're doing on our farm. And then that gives them a better connection to us and to the meat that they're buying. And then, you know, they have an opportunity to know that, you know, this was ethically raised, humanely raised meat, and that these people did the best that they could taking care of these animals for us to purchase at the farmer's market. And I would like to get back to possibly offering a a farm-to-table event type thing, but it just seems like every time we turn around, it's like, oh, you know, now it's cold, or oh, now we have some new restriction. It's just, we'll get there, you know? Yes, for sure. And I think, you know, all of these things are so great that you're doing with your YouTube and connecting your local community to what you guys are doing on your farm. And I just think that's like such a great way to highlight your story and just share, you know, the basics of what you're doing, because to you, it might not seem like a big deal, but to somebody who's never been to a farm or has never fed a sheep or unrolled a bale or anything like that, like these are so neat to see. And once you guys are able, and once everyone is able to kind of get back to whatever the new normal is going to be, like, I just think that there's going to be so many cool, innovative things that have come out of being locked down and cooped up in our homes. Because I know for me, like I have my brain going a million miles a minute of all of the cool things that I can do or that other people are doing. So I just think like, it's going to feel so good once we're able to have no restrictions. That's right. Or whatever the new normal is going to be, right? And just be together. So that's very cool. Yeah. And another thing we decided that we're going to focus on the sheep heavily as well and try and grow our flock. So last year in 2020, we lambed out four ewes. And this year, we're going to lamb out 10 ewes. And then hopefully next year, we'll be up to that 15 or 20 number depending on how many ewe lambs we have born and how many of those we want to keep or not keep for whatever reason. So we're growing that as well and just keeping up with all the, you know, fun things here on the farm and all the good stuff. Keeping up with the Germans. (laughs) (laughs) So Rachel, you mentioned earlier that you were working in corporate egg and you've actually made a transition and I want you to tell us about transitioning from your full-time corporate job in egg to what you're doing now. Sure. So in May of 2019, I left a full-time corporate egg job to take a job with a nonprofit called Agribility here in Ohio. Agribility is a nationwide USDA funded program. Currently 20 states have a USDA funded program, and then there's eight affiliate states, which means either they were previously funded or they have found some other source other than the USDA to fund their program. But what I do for them is my title is a rural rehabilitation coordinator. I like to tell people I'm a social worker just for farmers. So I help farmers find resources for whatever it is that they need. So if they come to us and they have back issues or they're newly paralyzed or if it's something they've dealt with their whole life, maybe a lifelong disease or disability, something of that nature, we help them 
find resources or technologies or, you know, things like that that make their life easier on the farm. And I transitioned into that role so that I would have more time to raise our daughter, to be here on the farm and take care of the animals, to take animals to the butcher, to pick up meat from the butcher in the summertime. We have quite the turnaround of taking animals and picking things up. Some week I'm in the car or in the truck calling animals and then going and picking up the meat two or three times in one week. So somebody, you know, for us to make this business go, somebody had to be flexible to do that. And and my role at AgriBility allows me to kind of schedule my work when it works out and schedule farm things in the off times. That is so good. And I am familiar with AgriAbility as they were a recipient of the rally campaign that I have for basically agriculture, supporting agriculture. And I just think their mission and their business model and all of the things is just so fascinating. And it's something that I don't think a lot of people think about and it doesn't cross their mind that there are farmers out there, whether, you know, it's a lifelong disease that they've been fighting that has created this disability, or if there was an accident or all of these things, what happens to these farmers after they've experienced this? And, you know, I think a lot of people would think, well, they're just out of farming because you can't do it if you're not physically able to do it. But AgriAbility is providing, you know, technology and resources for these farmers to become able to farm again, which I just think is absolutely amazing. And I like how you've called yourself a social worker just for farmers, because I don't think there's a lot of careers that are available to help just farmers. So I just think it's so cool. It is very rewarding. And like you said, most people think, you know, when they think of that disabled person, they think of the person that, you know, has probably the most flashy item that they can think of that tracked wheelchair or the lift on the back of their truck that gets them up into their tractor or their combine if they're, you know, paralyzed or something of that nature. But we also help, you know, the people that suffer from chronic back pain or, you know, maybe you're visually impaired and you can't see as well and you need better technologies to help like brighter lights in your barns or like I said maybe you can't grip as well and now you know you can't climb a ladder you know you have upper extremity issues you can't climb a ladder and you need stairs or things like that there's a lot of different facets of the farm that you know agribility helps with that people don't come to mind and one of the things that I felt like it made it my mission was to just make sure that people knew about agribility you know like I always say, I hope you never need it, but I hope that you know about it so that you can tell someone who does need it, contact AgriAbility. They want to help you or they can help you. Absolutely. Well, and AgriAbility also is helping veterans get into agriculture or be successful in agriculture. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yep. So not specifically in Ohio, we're still building our program a little bit, but some of the other states have a really great relationship with the Farmer Veteran Coalition. So generally when veterans are finished with their time in the service and they decide maybe farming is something they want to look into, they go to Farmer Veteran Coalition and, you know, if they're disabled or need some assistance in some way, I think Farmer Veteran Coalition often sends them to AgriAbility in their state or gives them some sort of resources to contact AgriAbility. And so they do have a great relationship. And here in Ohio, we're working with that. We just don't have the presence that some other states have. Absolutely. So, Rachel, I have kind of a 
a two-part question here. <laughs> okay. What do you want to tell farmers who may be struggling, but may be too afraid to ask or too proud to ask for help? Because I know we chatted about this before we hit record, the stigma when it comes to mental health in agriculture can be a lot for some farmers. And I think, you know, farmers who may have a physical disability may be struggling with the mental aspect of having that disability. So if there's somebody listening that is struggling, what do you want to tell them? I guess I want them to know that we want to help and we want to show you all the cool things that we can connect you with to help you. And that your life would be so much better, or maybe we can make your life so much easier on the farm if you would just reach out. I want them to know that maybe they feel judgment from somebody locally or somebody in their family that they're not going to have that here, you know, that I've felt like different clients I've had that, you know, have said, well, I kind of balked at the idea at first, but I'm so glad I did this. They just felt like talking to AgriBility was talking to someone in a third party, you know, that it wasn't trying to convince their wife of something or it wasn't the son trying to convince dad that he needed help. It was this third party person that came in and said, look at all these things that we can add to your farm or to your operation or to your ranch or to whatever that can make that tractor ride easier or getting up in that tractor easier or you know, picking up that hay bale easier, less back pain, less knee pain, you know, like you can farm more if you just ask for that assistance. Absolutely. And I've always, well, I shouldn't say I've always had this mentality, but over the last few years, I've had the mentality that it is hard to ask for help, but I would argue that it's harder to suffer in silence. And I think that really correlates whether that's mentally or physically in agriculture. I 100% agree. And I've had clients and they've said, well, what do you think about, you know, this? And, and you know, no client is ever a cookie cutter. It's just, it's not, nobody's ever going to be the same. And so I've reached out to people on, like, I think I messaged a guy on TikTok because he modified his tractor in some way. And I thought like, well, if he did that to his tractor, could he help me figure out this problem for another client of mine that wants to modify the controls on his tractor. Or I had a client and I was watching a YouTube video and they had these really inexpensive ladders that they attached to like a flatbed semi. And I thought, you know who could use that? My client could. And so the next day I sent him a text message and I said, hey, check this out. I found this on YouTube. Do you want me to see if we can add this to your technologies that you're going to be receiving from working with AgriBility? And he was like, wow, that's really neat. You know, yes, please. And so also it's that, you know, just having that outside of the box person who can come to your situation and just look at it with a different set of eyes and look at it and say, well, you know, have you thought about this? Or have you thought about that? And a lot of times they'll say, no, I haven't, you know, and, and that's when the breakthroughs happen, you know? Absolutely. Oh, Rachel, they are so lucky to have you and you... It sounds like you have the best job. And I just, whenever I think about agriability and all of the things that they are doing to just help make farmers' lives just a little bit easier, I get misty. I get misty, Rachel. <laughs> I do too. Here recently, I've had a wide variety of age ranges of clients, and a couple of them were younger and my age. And with every client, 
I just sit there and I think, like, if this was my dad or my husband or my brother, you know, like, I would want them to, you know, or even your sister or your mom or whoever. It's not just for men. It's for women, too. But, you know, I want them to continue. I want them to continue. I want to do everything that I can to make sure that they can continue doing what it is that they want to do. You shouldn't have to stop farming just because some part of your life has now changed. Absolutely. Absolutely. For the listeners who would like to learn more about AgriAbility or find out if it is available in their state, where should they go online? They can go to the National AgriAbility website, and that's just agribility.org. On there, you can find a agribility project directory. Each state is a little bit different in kind of what they specialize in. Obviously, that relates to the geographic area and the demographic area of the state that they're in. And if you want to learn more about Ohio AgriAbility, we are on social media, on Facebook, and on Twitter. And we try to post different things on there as well as highlight any clients that say it's okay for us to share their story. That is great. Rachel, a last question for you is what is the most rewarding part for you about being a farmer? Sharing my story and sharing my farm and sharing my animals and my meat with anybody that wants to learn more, just being able to debunk the myths and give people a sense of ownership and feeling good about where products that they're feeding their family with have come from. And to know that, you know, the person that's standing there selling it to them is eating those same products and is very proud to sell them to them as well. Excellent. So good. For the listeners who would like to connect with you and your farm after the show, where can they find you online? They can find me on Instagram at Bank Barn Meats or at R.A. Jarman. We're also on Facebook at Bank Barn Meats. And on YouTube, also at Bank Bar Meat. Perfect. And I will link all of those in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you. And I will also link all of the Agra Ability information as well so people can connect with Agra Ability too. Perfect. Thank you again so much for coming on the podcast today to share your story. I so appreciate it. Thank you, Caitlin. It's been such a great time. Hope you all enjoyed today's episode, learning more about Rachel, Bank Barn Meats, and Agra Ability. And thank you for sticking to the end to hear this special announcement. So one of the questions or I guess requests that I get quite often from listeners and from friends over on social media is that they love hearing from other women in agriculture and them sharing their stories and projects and all of the things, but they want to hear more from me and what's going on on our farm, what's going on in my life, et cetera, et cetera. So I was trying to think of a way that I could share this information and I came up with an idea that I'm hoping will satisfy those asks. So I am going to be starting a new podcast series that will be released on Patreon for the Rural Woman Podcast patrons at Tier 10 or higher. This new series will be titled, Maybe You Can Relate, and it will be hosted by yours truly. I will be sitting down behind the microphone solo to share 
stories and give updates on our farm and all of the things. I'm going to be diving into topics and stories that maybe you can relate to as well. These episodes will not be released on the main Rural Women podcast feed. So if you're interested in hearing these starting next week, July 30th, you can head on over to patreon.com slash the Rural Women podcast to join the patron community. You won't only be getting this new series on your favorite podcast player, but you'll also be supporting my work in sharing and celebrating the stories of women in agriculture through the Rural Women podcast. So I hope you will join me next week, July 30th, for this hopefully exciting series. And hopefully, maybe you can relate. Thank you all again so much for tuning in to this week's episode, and we will see you back here real soon. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producer, Sarah Reedner of Happiness by the Acre, and to my editor, Max Hofer. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can connect with me on social media using the handle at wildrosefarmer on all platforms. If you love the show, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts, plus share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.